Welcome to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Uh, thank for, thanks for joining us. This is a bit of a one-off podcast. Uh, I wanted to get Ron Conley on the line, who's been a, a passionate member and fan of the club. And uh, yes, we've all been reading his work and we love his work on footyology and, and especially his, uh, I love his uh, end of round reviews with uh, Rob Shaw. It's, it's one of my favourite podcasts to actually go to. So check it out if you've got the time. Rowan, uh, on the line, how are you going? Yeah, good, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Uh, certainly a fair bit going on in Bomberland, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously coming on to an Essendon fan podcast, so it's going to be a different style. You know, it's not a radio show. It's a, it's a, we can have a bit of a blunt chat uh, about the club, and I don't know where any of this conversation will go. I thought we'll just make it organic, uh, and I think uh, hopefully it's, it's a valuable listen. I've got to pull you up there, though, mate. I'm, I'm never less than blunt on any forum that <laughs> yes. I'm part of. And uh, <laughs> I, I, look, I've been speaking on a few forums over the last 72 hours or so about this subject. So uh, I don't think I'll necessarily be saying a lot different. But yeah, I take your point, and uh, I'm certainly going to be less guarded about where my allegiances are. <laughs> Not that I'm terribly guarded about that anyway. Let's be honest. Okay, go on. No, Sorry. but that's what that's what I appreciate. Uh, you speak your mind, uh, so I, I appreciate that myself. So, okay. Obviously, a lot's happened in the last 72 hours uh, with David Barham taking over as as chairman or president, however you want to label that. I think it's important to understand the journey of the club. Uh, there's obviously that the, the laugh tag of the no final for 20 years, but underneath that is actually a reality that this club has non-performed for two decades. And with that, you have to uh, look at the decisions that's been made within the club. I think you need to dissect it, work it out once and for all what the hell's gone wrong. Uh, and, and then make some key changes. So I think what are your thoughts? How do you see where this club sort of got to this point rather than the last 72 hours? Uh, talk us through how you see how this club got to this point. Um, oh, there's a few sort of uh, pivotal moments. I was going to say line in the sand moments, but <laughs> if, if, if there's, if there's few, a few of them, it's sort of, um, uh, almost sort of uh, contradicts the meaning, doesn't it? Uh, look, I, for me, I think the single most pivotal thing, uh, well, the saga, you know, you can't, there's no mm -hmm. escaping that. Over the last two decades, that is cataclysmic, you know, and the club is still reeling from that in many ways, certainly culturally. But I, I think almost as big, um, and it, it really does, it, when you look at the, success or otherwise on field, it, it sort of ties in with that event, is the dismantling of that incredibly successful 2000 side via salary cap issues. So, you know, over that two-summer mm. period, the loss of Carousella, Heffern and Blumfield and Hardwick, which really, you know, it's sort of, they were not only important players, but it just sort of uh, ate away at the fabric and the morale of the the playing group. And it's sort of funny too because there was a, a precursor to that back in the mid-'80s in 1986 when um, Essendon got rid of uh, Peter Bradbury and Steve Carey and they went elsewhere. And, you know, players who were around them will say, well, that really sort of ate away at the at – the, um, the spirit within that group, you know, yeah. and they got they yeah. got Jeff Rains and Mike Richardson. Jeez, I'm going back now, aren't I? But 
But really, that 2001-02 salary cap stuff, it's quite similar because it, it had a massive impact on the playing group. And I think the players sort of went, geez, no one's safe, are they? Um, and then simultaneously, you've got the club, I think, getting a bit too big for its boots, you know, sort of seeing itself as the Manchester United of the AFL and sort of being so focused on being this corporate monolith that has sort of forgot about the football stuff. And, and mm. you know, one there was a stage there where Essendon, in terms of football department spending and resources, was behind half the competition. Like they'd sort of forgotten about it for a few years and got too worried about sponsorships and, you know, flogging merchandise and, and this sort of stuff. And I think that sort of set a tone which really has pervaded the club for the two decades since. So the priorities have never quite been right. And then from there, there's been a bit of a, a game of catch-up. And then in trying to catch up, there's been some horrendous mistakes made. Now, uh, here's another example. David Evans becomes chairman of Essendon. I can remember interviewing him when he became chairman. In the very first interview, he was talking about, this is an arms race and we're lagging behind. We need to catch up to our opposition. Now, if you're looking at the supplements saga, there is basically, I'm not saying this is all because of David Evans, but the rationale for pursuing the the boost via those dodgy supplements was we need to catch up to our opposition. Remember how there was all that stuff about Essendon's players were weaker than their opponents. They needed to be stronger, you know, so there was this sort of attempt to fast track the physical development. That's what led to the use of supplements. And that's what led to the absolute cluster F that that subsequently became, um, which led to the suspension of 34 players, which led to Essendon having to field a reserve side for a year, Mm. which followed Essendon being thrown out of a final series. I mean, you've almost got to stop and remind yourself of, all this stuff that happens. So in the last ten in the last ten seasons, you've had one season in which Essendon has been thrown out of a final series, and you've got another year in which we're fielded a reserve side because we had a whole half our playing list suspended. So they're the major events. And and but like I said, there, there's sort of a couple of pivotal events early in the two thousands. And from then, it's been Essendon desperately trying to catch up, even in a list sense. You know, so we spent that period mm. from about 02 to about 07 bringing in the, you know, Scotty Camparales and the Matty Allens yeah, and the yeah. Justin yeah. Murphys. And and I've done a Gary Ayres there. I've, I'm giving two of everything. Um, thank God there weren't two ties Antucks. But, um, you know, we, we've, we've tried to top up and that's Sheed's sort of protecting himself. And I, I think even things like that, um, it's become a very selfish club. It's become a club where people are constantly protecting their own interests or, or furthering their own agendas or playing their own games of power and politics. And I think that's come to an absolute crescendo over the last three or four years. And, uh, you know, look, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but this this club... I think spiritually is bankrupt. You know, I, I think I think the saga almost ruined it and it's tried to sort of go softly, softly since then, but 
it's gone almost too far the other way and it's this sort of bland vanilla entity which comes across more like a corporation than a passionate footy club. I think the shift out to the hangar hasn't helped and it's easy to say that, but it's a very, it's a bit of a wasteland, you know. It's, it's it, There's no great connection to that new home and the support base. Mm. These are all the things that a club which was in touch would be attending to. But Essendon is so busy putting out spot fires and so busy indulging in this merry-go-round of football department appointments by a CEO who somehow seems to ritually avoid scrutiny himself that, you know, there's never time to stop and sort of sit back and go, okay, this is what we need to be focusing on. And then there's this sort of, you know, the the stuff that really pisses supporters off, that sort of corporate gobbledygook and motherhood yeah, statements yeah. and purposeful innovation and all this absolute crap, you know. So there you go, I'm rambling. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I could. Uh, there's another dozen examples like that. But all these things combined have reduced this club to not a lot, to be honest. I'll give you an example of just a small example you know, as, as me as a fan goes to, you know, I sometimes go to preseason training, like to see it. I still, I still amazes me. Um, just sit with a hanger, for example, when you said, I don't mind even the location that doesn't bother me. You know, it's obviously got great facilities, but it's for unbelievable. Players, yeah, it's unbelievable how members were a second thought in that. And, and I still, to this day, I go, okay, we've, what have we been here? Like, seven years or something like that, why am I sitting on a piece of dirt on the outer? Um, because what there's not one seat available to any fan and they want to have open days for families and all that sort of thing and there's not one thing to cater for a member who help. You know, let's face it, how much do they get from donations from members and, and category groups? They got millions. And you go, well, give back. So I understand that frustration. As far as the football... Look, I've been more critical than other people on the John Worsfold appointment. That's just me. I understand the 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 logic of it. Uh, at the end of 2015, what had happened, um, I just felt like it had to be a 12 or 24 month um, limit at best because I think it inbred a very protective, safe culture because I felt like even at the time that's the message it's a healing culture where where we're just looking after the players and I, I you know I watched the players the even the suspended players uh training I just never got the feeling I just always got the feeling no they wanted to get on playing football and get their lives back and be challenged and I just never felt like that period we got right uh that we actually could go back to a football club and getting a little bit more ruthless and saying, let's, you know, everything's done. It's 2012, 13, that whole saga, 14, let's get on with it. Uh, and I felt like the players deserved a bit more of, we're going to help you get on with it. It's the, the whole, you know, the whole safe vanilla kind of messaging and how we're going to do as a club. And, and we even <laughs> felt like we almost recruited players and we're, like, we're celebrating recruitment of players because they came from a good college school and they're good people from a good family and he's like well no hire some rat bags you know that that, that it can be rough and you know your sollies and your so yeah that's there's a whole lot of factors that i, I felt like were in play that had my concerns well would you 
just on that thing about the players too, and I mean, this just occurred to me as you were saying it. I mean, what about the extent to which Essendon has lost that obvious identification with Indigenous football? Yeah. You know, I mean, how embarrassing was that of a Dreamtime game earlier this year when it was Richmond that had, you know, five players and Richmond putting on the ceremonial stuff? Essendon didn't even have a single Indigenous player playing in the game from memory. You know, Tipper had had just pulled the pin. And yeah. that that really rankles with me, the fact that, you know, there's just something very not right about him giving it away that early and, and the way his time at Essendon as a player ended and the fact that it has ended at mm. his age, that's just wrong. The Nova Paris stuff, you know, clearly there is now a disconnect between Indigenous football. I, I, I've i had some discussions with people who are involved with the Tiwi Islands uh, program with Essendon. There's a lot of discontent about Essendon's lack of presence and lack of effort in that top part of Australia, mm. you know, that was once a flagship of the club. So there's all these important parts of Essendon's culture over the last 40 years that I think haven't had enough attention paid to them, whilst there's other areas that have had too much attention paid to them and just little things like, mate, I'm, I'm a member, I'm a fan, you know, we have a good win. I don't want my first communication from the club to be an email trying to flog me cheap Amart furniture. You know, no disrespect to Amart, but you know, it, it's yeah. like the, it's like the club sees the membership base as a a cash cow and a yeah. um, um, you know a, a, a clientele base rather than a support base, and that is wrong. I, I just want to you talked about Warsfold. My biggest issue with the Warsfold appointment wasn't him per se; it was how. It was done, and this is—I don't know how. I don't know how. Uh, getting on a plane. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I know. I know for a fact, mate. I know for a fact that there was a group putting together a short list of coaching candidates for that job, right? And the first they knew about Warsfold was looking on the TV news and seeing a report that Paul Little had taken a private plane, gone to Adelaide to talk to Warsfold. They had a coaching shortlist which had some really, really good names on it, all of whom were interested. What sort of names? Well, one of them was uh, a guy called Chris Fagan. He's ended up being a pretty decent AFL coach, I would have thought. Mm. So this sort of circumventing of process all the time, yep. uh, which is ironic given what I think we'll talk about later, <laughs> but there are extenuating circumstances. But there's, you know, Paul Little, there's no way he should have done that. There's no way he should have done that. And that's what I keep coming back to people pushing their own agendas and people pursuing their own interests. You know, that's just wrong. No club should be operating like that. And healthy clubs don't operate like that. Okay. So I guess another key area really from 2014 has been our recruitment of football operations managers, uh, I guess that kind of level. Uh, we're talking, you know, you can go back to Craig and uh, Ball and Kerr and Richardson. Uh, even, you know, reports have Josh Marty on hanging by a thread at the moment. Uh, even with the Rutten transition, uh, not much process, or, or, you know, to even look at the landscape with that process. At what point, and I've posted this on Blitz and, and Facebook so people know my view, at what point does the CEO actually become accountable to this football club and the and it's and it's where it is today? 
Well, to me, this is the single biggest issue. I, I you know, I quite on it. I cannot believe uh, that Xavier Campbell is still in that position. To be perfectly honest, and I would also say that if if he remains in that position, then I don't think much will change because it's the CEO that sort of sets the tone of the place. Um, and in this particular case, whatever Xavier's pluses, and they're clearly uh, plenty from a purely commercial standpoint, but the CEO's job in a football club isn't like a CEO of a corporation. It's not just about the dollars and cents and the sponsors and the record membership numbers. It's about the football culture you create. It's about the football appointments you make. I mean, let's not forget that, and that's what Essendon seems to have forgotten. This is about... At the end of the day, it's about a footy team winning games and winning premierships. And so that has to be a big part of the equation. And by any measure on that score, the CEO has failed. Um, you know, we, we, we all know the, the series of, of failed appointments. You've just rattled off the football managers. The, the rotten appointment, I mean, you almost have to sort of, you've got to stop and go, okay, that happened because that happened because that happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rutten came to Essendon because of Dan Richardson, right? Yep. But he became senior coach of Essendon after Dan Richardson, the man who got him aboard, had been sacked by the man who appointed him, Xavier Campbell. Why did Rutten become the anointed successor to Warsfold? That happened to, to excuse the French, cover. that was an ass-covering exercise. What do I mean by that? Well, they prematurely reappointed Warsfold way too early after that finals appearance in 2017. It then got to a stage where they thought he wasn't the right man, but they didn't want to uh, didn't want to be embarrassed by people going, well, hang on, you're sacking a guy who you extended five seconds ago. So the way around that was this clunky co-coaching agreement, which by any measure was an absolute disaster, and then an anointed appointment of Rutten to succeed Warsfold, again, with no process. So Rutten is basically the coach because of, you could say, two mistakes. One, Dan Richardson as football manager didn't work out. Two, um, the extension of John Warsfold. So who's responsible for both of those things? The CEO. Now, I, I would say, and you can, you know what, you can take all these mistakes but none of them are in the same ballpark as the most monumental one of them all, in my view, and that was the decision to extend Campbell's contract by two years earlier this year. Now, in what universe does anyone is anyone able to justify that at that time when the side was, you know, what were they, one and seven? Um, one and seven, the whole thing is in disarray and you're extending the CEO who's already got question marks over his head, who's already the subject of a lot of pretty, um, you know, what's the word, serious accusations about off-field behaviour and lifestyle. Mm. How on earth can you possibly at that point extend him by two years and then the most incriminating thing of all, it was only even revealed to the the fan base and the membership base after the media got wind of it. Had the media not reported it, there's no way they would have even said that it had happened. Yeah. And, and then some people got dirty that they did come out and say it had happened. <laughs> Understandably, because there's no way 
of justifying that. And I thought Paul Brasher had a real, you know, made a really ham-fisted attempt to justify it. In fact, Paul Brasher's, you know, look, he's a nice guy, but he hasn't handled the PR side of that job very well at all. Do- um, which, which is sort of ironic because the CEO is all about PR. You know, it's all about sort of, um, you know, show and not enough about substance. With I guess with um, I guess Xavier, I mean CEO CEO role should have a big influence on the actual culture of, of the club, and that's within its you know office uh, with its all various roles. Um, there's always been you know I'll, I'll be honest, there's always been whispers that there's been a little bit of discontent around the office of the club and their relationship with CEO. Um, have you heard anything about that, or can expand on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, you know, they're, they're, uh, Jessica Heller and in the Australian wrote several reports a couple of months ago about the accusations about uh, incidents at a Christmas party. I think it was 2015. Um, you know, the club said they investigated that and, and nothing, um, nothing untoward was uh, found. Um my information about those things is quite different. And um, when I say quite different, I, I think stuff did happen and I think people have been reluctant to come out and talk about that, uh, the people involved in those incidents. And I think when there's been a suggestion that was going to happen, uh, they've been lent on pretty heavily. And I, I probably shouldn't say any more than that. But what I can say is, um, you know, and you don't tend to hear about this stuff because a lot of these employees aren't in the football side of the operation. But there's been a, a roller, a roller, a turnstile, mm. revolving turnstile of employees coming and going from the organisation. But um, particularly in recent times, women. And this is a major concern, and I suspect, I don't know this, but I suspect this is one of the concerns of this new sort of group of six on the board. And remember that you've now got three women on that board. You've got Mel Green, uh, Dorothy Hisgrove, and uh, Kate Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And my information is that there are, I think, no fewer than five senior female executives at the club all of whom have left over, I think, the last eight months. Uh, who are they? You might not even know some of them, but uh, Lisa Rossetti was the uh, PA to the CEO. She's left. Lisa Laurie, very senior employee. She's uh, She was general manager of people. She left to go to the AFL. Jess Newman was uh, GM of strategic ops and community. She's gone. Um, Alexandra Stewart. Uh, who came back for a second stint at the club. She's just in the last couple of weeks, I think, resigned as General Manager of Communications. Charlotte Miller, Head of the AFLW, VFLW Operations, she's gone. And uh, throw in as well the coach of that successful VFLW side, Brendan Major. Um, so five women and, and you know, the, the only reigning sort of premiership coach, all gone. But the women particularly, I, I, I think that is, uh, I, I don't think this is common knowledge, but I think if it was, people would have a lot more concerns about the 
cultural tone of that club at the moment. It is not a happy workplace. Is there? Is there? A, do you think uh, there's a justification? Then on the external part of review, because that kind of suggests why you would, I mean, I'm being, you know, I'm being open and honest, why you would have an internal review, because you probably don't want that to come out. Um, Absolutely no question about that, Scott. Surely anyone with half a brain can see this. You know, if, if, if these people are worried about their positions, you, you you don't want a review to start with, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you do have a review, you make sure you're reviewing yourself so the result's going to be pretty favourable. And what a, what a sham that whole process was. And then, you know, it, it was just to get the media and the membership off their backs and then and then they lied about who'd be doing it. Oh, you know? She's a madden and they had no, no, yeah, they had no desire to have them. And then, when, and then when the report was finally tabled, it was woefully inadequate and that was sort of the final straw. So absolutely, what I'm talking about here, I'm, I've got absolutely no doubt that will be a huge focus of the external review. It won't just be about the coach and the football operations. It is about how the whole club ticks. And this has to be a major concern. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um... Do you is it? Do you think this? I'll ask you. I yeah. mean, I you know, I've 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 known some of this stuff for a while, and and sort of kept my powder dry because uh, because I want the club to get it right. But you know, finally, I, I think we're at a point where it's all got to come out. It's the only way it's going. Do you think that the knowledge of what I was just talking about? Do you think that would change? the minds of supporters about how healthy this club is or the state it's been in? I think you'd have to. It just has to. Like you you can't – at some point, you know, I had to – even me, like I'm I'm always known as an optimist and that sort of – I actually had to wake up a little bit myself in the last year and, and people noticed my tone change and, and go, well, it's not right. Like we just can't keep doing the same thing year on year. Can I just say too, Scott? Like I'm getting a bit wound up now, but you know, look, I, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of podcasts with you and Grant now. Um, I know you guys are regulars on on Bomber Blitz. I, I read Bomber Blitz. I love Bomber Blitz. I, I reckon, I, I, quite seriously, I think it's one of the most intelligent football for, forums I've read. There's some ninety percent of the posts on there. I think have really valuable input and, and a lot of what they say is really well informed and well articulated and makes a heap of sense and I I, I do get a bit wounded sometimes when people say ah oh, stuff Connolly's always bagging the club or you know I why I do is because I get so upset about seeing my club not my mm. club but the club in which I've invested so much of my energy and passion at such a low ebb. I mean, I'm 57, Scott. I've been following this club for 50 over 50 years. I sound like Digger on the could have been champions, but it's <laughs> but it's true. I've been going to watch them play since I was five. I love this club. My mm. late brother uh, has a paver at the front of of Windy Hill, along with a whole lot of other people. You know, some of my fondest memories of my family and my late father are, are all tied in with Essendon. I love the club. There's no way I'd be. I'd be as tortured and, and get as worked up and as upset about the fortunes of Fremantle or Gold Coast. You know, this is – it's Essendon Football Club has been such a huge part of my life and it breaks my heart to see it 
where it is now and to see it having had its soul taken away. But most of all, it breaks my heart seeing it, I think, um, run at the moment by a group of people either incapable of, unwilling to, or without the necessarily emotional attachment to really care enough to get things right and to put their energies into helping the club and not themselves. And that's, you know, people say, well, why don't you get in there and do something? I would love to do something for this club. I think I can do something for this club. I think I understand how the media works pretty well. I think I understand how supporters tick. Uh, I'm one of them, you know, and um, I, I, you know, I've, I've said it before, I, I contributed to that review at the end of 2020. I had long meetings with Paul Brasher. I, I gave him a whole lot of written stuff about ideas, I thought, for a media strategy and a media policy and a, a way of reconnecting with the fan base of getting the soul back at the club. You know, all of that was ignored. And 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 look, so was the advice of a lot of really good Essendon people. And that's the sore point with a lot of us. It's not just me. But, you know, I do think I have something to contribute. I'd love to contribute. So I, I get a bit wounded when I say people say, oh, Connolly, you know, he's just, he's a malcontent or or whatever. You know, I, I love this club. I, I would do anything to see Essendon back to the position it once occupied in the football landscape because it's been an enormous part of my life and I, I love the place, you know? Yeah, and I've spoken this, about this before. Does, does anyone, does the club realise that if you're 25 and under, you have you think this club's a rabble? Like, yep. like at some point they're going to, kids are going to other clubs. Like it's just... The kids go and teenagers go to success normally and, and, and you know, they see champion players and that's, oh, that's who I'll follow. Uh, th- you know, yeah, we can have that nice little luxury of having 70 or 80,000 members at the moment, but it's nowhere near guaranteed. You'd, it has to turn around immediately to start yeah. grabbing some kids. Well, I, I was speaking to someone uh, who's done a lot of work with the club a couple of days ago and they were saying that, you know, unless that there is a, a massive turnaround quickly that that membership could tank very quickly you know what what they have to be aware of is that this is no longer the 1970s and you're not going to get people like me you know a 15 year old trekking across town to go to a, a rain swept windy hill uh to watch your team lose by 10 goals you know kids yeah. now have a lot more options and, you know, my two kids, I hope they don't mind me using them as examples here, but I've got a 26-year-old daughter who was six and doesn't really remember the 2000 Premiership. And she's a passionate supporter, but all her life, all she's known is Essendon mediocrity. I've got a 20-year-old son who has only really started to get into it probably the last three years, but already he's sort of bitter and twisted about it because <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's the same things keep happening. And, it, you know, I, I don't think you have that luxury now of having the same level of rusted-on support that you once did. So these things have to be made right. But, you know, even more than that, supporters have to be treated with respect. And, yeah. I, I, and, and again, I had a very disturbing conversation with someone who's still working at the club a couple of days ago in which they said they really hate they said, you know, not everyone, I stress not everyone, they said, but there's a significant air in that club among the top brass of 
you know, the supporters are a bit of a rabble and they're a bit silly and they're a bit, you know, we, we give them this and they'll, you know, give them a little crumb here and they'll be satisfied. Well, you've got to be better than that. And I, I think the clubs that are better than that have a genuine connection with their supporters. And and look, I know Essendon supporters hate being compared in, in an inferior manner to other clubs, but I, I've got enormous admiration for how Richmond's turned its situation around. In a way, I feel like the two clubs have swapped places. But yeah. having the right people who get football culture and who get supporters in Peggy O'Neill and Brendan Gale, they have been so central to Richmond turning that club around. Richmond's connection with its fan base is superb. Richmond's um, community work is superb. Its Indigenous stuff is superb. And this is all because they have those two people who are intelligent, articulate. They are uh, compassionate people. They're progressive-minded people socially. They just get it. I often Mm. feel, and I think a lot of Essendon supporters feel like our top brass doesn't get it. There's a lot of lip service to all that stuff but it really doesn't ever play out in practical terms. The feedback I get as a podcast host uh, is, you know, I get comments like, you know, they've, they've, they've literally just wound down family days, any days open, you know, those kind of days where kids can come on, go for a ride, meet the players. It, it's so rare these days, but, how, but the uptick of $250 events, uh, dinners, is it seems to gone by threefold. Uh, well, so it's, yeah, it's, it's well, like the top end. It's like, yeah, if you're an Essendonian, if you're, if you're, you know, top catery, you're, you're wealthy, great. You can have access to this, but it, it's changed so much to the grassroots person in the outer who, who wants to send their kids to see Sam Draper on the, you know, and give them a high five, or, you know, in an open day. But there's so little at the hangout about, about, I guess, a big, big, those big open days. I know they say, they may come back and say, look, we have open training. It's not the same. Uh, having real access to players uh, and having a fun day and just, in, and having it like three times a year. You don't have to have just the one, of, I think we've had like one of every two years at the moment, but just that engagement with, with kids and who just see their heroes and, you know, it's a free day. Put it on free. Just that's just so simple things that we get wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what about the you know the one fiftieth gala dinner and the tickets were what were they four hundred and seventy five or whatever? They start off with about four seventy five, then they what they went down to three hundred and something. But yeah, it's because still they just- because because they were going to be embarrassed at the lack of people attending, and to the extent where a whole lot of former players said no, you know, because they they just weren't going to be part of it. You know, like that's that's just they're tone deaf. You know, they're just not reading the room ever, not re- getting the support base. You know, I don't know if if their you know membership services or media people or whatever read Bomber Blitz, but geez, they should, because I, I think it's a really good window into the what the support base is is thinking. And if they do have a stereotype of the supporters as being, you know, d- dare I use the word nuffies, you know, people who sort of are out at training every day and hanging around the doors waiting for an autograph on the back of the jumper or something. You know, this football club supporters are so much more than that dodgy 
anachronistic stereotype, you know, and and the proof of that is on a place like Bomber Blitz. There, you yeah. know, there, there's a lot of there people from all stratas of society and all um, socioeconomic groups and all educational levels, and you, you know, they they are your club, you know, mate. And and Essendon, Essendon people more than just about any club have proved. I mean, they deserve payback more than just about anyone for what they've been through. <laughs> yeah, Twenty they do. years they really of failure yeah. and a supplement scandal, and the membership continued to go up. And we all, and I'm saying we because I'm a mm. member. I, I continued to hang in there too. We all stuck fat and, and donated we, to the club and donated. And, and what have we got for our trouble? We've got crap performance, and lately, people, players, and officials who, who look like they either don't care. Or they're in it for their own selfish interests, and I, I just that thought just makes me sick, to be honest. Uh, as we start to a little bit wind up, I, I can't. I have to ask you about obviously Alistair Clarkson. So you're going to have, you know, I noticed on on social media you're going to have the two approaches because you know we've obviously discussed the Rutten appointment and how that was done. It, it becomes a bit trickier when you're talking about one of the great coaches of the modern era. How, how do you see that? And do you think we should be approaching him, uh, you know, 100%? I do. Um, I, you know, I, I think, and yes, I'm contradicting my overall philosophy about these things, but th- these are extraordinary circumstances. And, okay, here's why I think they need to, one, this guy is one of the best handful of coaches in the history of the game. Why is he? Well, uh, forget the well, don't forget them. There's four premierships there. He wasn't gifted those premierships. Yes, they've had a great list. He helped assemble that list. But more than that, he remade the way that team played. The unsociable Hawks, person. remember? Yeah, well, there's mm. the unsociable Hawks, there's Clarko's cluster, there's the precision left foot kicking team. Yep. You know, they, they've had pursued about two, two, three or four different playing styles under his watch. He has constantly been ahead of the curve in terms of where the game was headed. His study of other sports and overseas sports is better than all his peers. You know, th- th- this guy is a coaching genius, I think. Yes, he can be difficult and abrasive. Yes, he needs good people around him who are prepared to keep him in check. But they are those people do exist. And if Essendon was to handle it properly, they would allow him to have that support team in place. But it's so there's one reason. So yes, if Essendon should be following a process, but in this particular case, if they do that and worry about the coaching later, he's gone for obvious reasons. So yeah. I think this is perhaps the one time ever where you jump in and get him now while you can, and then you fix up the rest. And obviously he's not going to come on board unless there's assurances that the rest of it is going to be fixed, which in itself is a good motivation to make sure <laughs> it's fixed. But another big point here, the, the cultural change and those structural changes can't happen instantly they can't even happen over the space of 12 months. This is a, this is going to be a, a process of several years. So whilst that is going on, it is a really difficult environment, this. you can't st- I can't stress this enough. Essendon coaches have to worry about coterie groups who are more than influential than at most clubs. 
beyond coterie groups, well-heeled supporters who want their two bits for the money they donate. You've got a large cartel of former players in the media who are all influential and don't mind having their two bobs worth and push, you know, playing a bit of power games behind the scenes. Um, you've got the uh, dysfunctional administration as it stands at this point. Hopefully that changes, but for the moment, that's what it's like. And you've got the legacy of two decades of failure, which is a, a poor culture, a selfish, lazy culture, which I think a newer coach and certainly someone like Ben Rutten just can't overcome. And that's not even his fault. Matthew Knights wasn't able to overcome this back in 2009, 2010. And you know what? Here's the, the best proof of them all. Even Kevin Sheedy fought his entire 27-year reign, mm. was fighting these elements all the time at yeah. board level, at coterie level. Mate, I reported on a couple of attempts <laughs> to unseat him. You know, like he was, he had to spend a lot of time staving those things off. Now, that hopefully changes in time because I don't think a modern club can be successful whilst that culture prevails. But until that culture is changed, you need the strongest possible character coaching it. You need someone who's got the runs on the board who won't be challenged for their coaching philosophy. And you need someone who, when there are blow-ups with various power brokers around the place, is prepared to take them on, stare them down, and win the fight. And we've seen... Clarkson do that repeatedly with Jeff Kennett as Hawthorne president. So I believe he is the only guy with that profile that will enable him to withstand all those external forces whilst the club is reshaped and remade. And I said this to you off air, but I'm going to repeat it here because I think it's a valid point. One of the reasons people were saying Clarko would be a good fit at GWS is they're a club in hostile footy territory. They need someone who can be the face of a club. Funnily enough, as traditional and established as Essendon Football Club is, I think it needs something similar because I think this club almost needs to be stripped back to its foundations and rebuilt. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about reconnecting with the fans, making the hangar a place that is inviting, that does have a bit of a, a feel to it, that people do want to go to where you can go and celebrate the triumphs of the past, and they are visible, where you can go and sit on a seat and not on a, a patch of windswept dirt in an industrial wasteland. Yeah, Those are all the things that make it. Essendon has got to start this from the ground up, and that process, I think, can be expedited with a particularly strong personality as the public face of the club, as indeed Kevin Sheedy was for so long. I think Alistair Clarkson can be a, a 2020s version of what Kevin Sheedy was in the 1980s. They are all the reasons I think it's imperative that Essendon at least makes a spirited attempt at trying to get Clarkson. If it doesn't come off, okay, go back to making the focus about getting the club right. But I think that whole process could be sped up if Clarkson is on board as coach. I must admit that's, you know, I, I, I must admit I 100% agree, to be honest. Uh I must admit, as much as we've talked about truck, I, I don't know about you, but I've had enormous amount of compassion for him and what this situation has done. Because I say that because he came in 
and, and whether I think he's right for the club or not, he came in and identified that we don't respect our history of the club. And I thought he actually had a sincere uh, way of trying to connect the players to the history, the way we're going to train at Windy Hill in the off-season on occasions, start to understand our culture. You have to have an initiation now if you start at the, if you start the club to learn the history. I thought he actually did some good things that I think were needed and but he just never had the executive around him and the operations around him that really gave him support. Um, so I guess with this, I just actually felt like even yesterday, I was like, well, you know, my friends are talking about, they go to training, they're saying, look, it's just, and they were even talking to me, like it's just odd watching training today and watching Truck talk to these players and they're on my Twitter feed while I'm watching this is talking about Clarkson talking to the club. And you go, yeah. it's just, it's just, yeah. He, well, it's he, disrespectful, really, yeah, isn't it? It's, it's, he's a, no matter what you think of him, he's actually a pretty legit, uh, high character individual. Uh, so I, I must admit, I, underneath, I, I was like, oh, I actually feel for the guy because I, I still, I still have my coaching concerns. I can't escape that, you know, from what I've seen. But, Gee, it's just you wouldn't want to be a uh, an untried coach at this club. You just wouldn't. No, which, which is exactly my point. And and people have said to me in answer to that, well, what about Craig McRae at um, at Collingwood? Well, one McRae had a lot more assistant experience under his belt than Truck did at at Bridgemond. Um, but secondly, I think Collingwood and people hate me saying this, but I think Collingwood was was even in that turmoil they had last year has successfully moved a lot closer towards getting the off-field stuff right than Essendon has and via some of their key appointments one of which is like Graham Wright as football manager he's a terrific appointment for them they resolve the the presidential squabbling you know Jeff Brown whatever you think of him is at least in charge of that side of it now. Mm. Um, you know, they, they've even managed to, you know, put some sort of muzzle on Eddie uh, remarkably, you know. So yeah. McRae's come in there and I think already sort of with a head start on what an Essendon coach would have because I, I think they have quite quickly got their act together pretty quickly. And, and look, Carlton is a, a, a template here too. Mm. Carlton finally put their hand up and said, yep, we're a basket case, guys. And they got the external review happening. Um, the chairman went, the CEO went, the list manager went, the coach went, bang. Uh, whatever happens, and people might, you know, laugh, oh, Blue's going to miss the finals. They've had a really good year, and I, I reckon they've had a real crack, and, you know, they, they were stiff to lose that game to Melbourne, but you had to admire their yeah. effort. Even, even the Demons in around 2018 had a bit of a shake-up, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Essendon supporters would love to see that sort of effort going on with their own club. So these changes can come. And, you know, that, again, you know, th this is one of the things I think people are just sick of empty words. They're sick of, oh, you know, we're on a, you know, in, uh, progress isn't linear. Well, bloody hell, Collingwood's progress has been pretty linear this year, hasn't it? From 17th to 2nd a couple of weeks ago. You know, you mm. don't have to go up and down all the time. You don't have to have these tiny little incremental improvements and then two steps back. Single biggest yep. on-field indictment of the Bombers, Scott, 
and I've, I've used this so many times now, but it's it's a good one. Uh, it's a good measuring stick. How many champions has the Essendon Football Club produced since 2001 of its own making? Yeah, not father-sons, uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, even if you say father-sons, one. If mm. you don't include father-sons, zero. Who's the next best player Essendon has produced after Joe Watson? It's probably Zach Merritt, isn't it? Yeah. Is Zach Merritt a champion? No, he's not. Now, I think every other club has produced at least one champion of the game in that same period. Even clubs, really unsuccessful clubs, have managed to do that. So that is an indictment on Essendon's junior development. Mm. How, how can you not get that better over a 20-year period? How can you keep making the same recruiting mistakes for 20 years? How can you keep not having the right football managers nor the right assistant coaches for 20 years and still want to be given time and want your support base to be patient and have people say, well, time will tell, or, you know, we're not far off. Come on, guys. It's been 22 years. If now isn't the time for a, a vigorous shaking up of the entire club, there never will be one. And that's why, for me, this this sort of Dave Barham group push is just the start. It cannot end there. If you're asking me, what do I think needs to happen? I think there needs to be a new CEO. I think there needs to be a new football manager. I think there needs to be a new list manager. And um, I think there needs to be Alistair Clarkson in the coaching box. Mm. Uh, you may disagree with this. Uh, um I've actually felt like, and I, I get your your superstar point. Trust me, trust me, <laughs> I do. Uh, I would think a Clarkson looks at our list and goes, "Yep, it needs some work, no doubt." Um, but there's still a lot to work with. You know, there's still, you know, there's still a, you know, you can see potential. I'll say, and and obviously it requires development that we don't normally have. Uh, so you've got to get a lot of things right. But I've always felt like that's me. Me, me I'm over-optimistic. Um, and I'm not saying we're going to win a grand final. I'm obviously not saying that. I can say I still think there's a, a level there at the club at the moment of under, say, plays 24 and under and go, well, I reckon I can work and grow with that. Uh, see what a Zachary can do at halfback. See what a Nick Cox can do. See what a Hobbs can do. See what a, you know. I, I've got pockets of uh, where I go, okay, there's little diamonds here. And can we get them to the next level? Uh, but that's I me. Mean, if I'm Clarkson, I look at the list and go, gee, it is a young list. There is a lot of potential there, and I don't think this club has got the best out of that potential. And I think I can. Oh, I, I, agree, I agree with that 100%. Don't get me wrong. I think the list definitely has potential. I don't think it's as advanced as some people. No, think. yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I think there are obvious holes there. I think yeah. there's still a big hole midfield. I think it's still a big hole up forward in terms of key position talent. The big unknown is getting back to that point about junior development. Say you do suddenly have a the best junior development program in the league. How good can a Jones, a Cox, a Reed um, become? Uh, a Perkins, how good can they become? If they can become elite players, absolutely the list in its current shape is capable of going, you know, significantly higher than it has. Um, but that, you know, that is a big if. The right people have to be put in place, which again gets me back to that point about, yeah. you know, this this process 
it's it, it you know it's even sort of it's going to take longer than it's taking Collingwood and Carlton because there's so much damage being done. Mm. Um, but you know, again, I think having Clarko there would would expedite that process. Well, mate, uh, I said, can you come on for twenty minutes? And it's been fifty. So, <laughs> but uh, <that's>, sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, 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 no. Trust me, the it's a bonus for me. I I said twenty just to to just try and get you on, just to see if I can get you to say anything. But so fifty minutes is is more my bonus, not yours. But look, I I really really appreciate it. I love your passion, mate. I honestly do. I love it. Oh, you know, like I said, I, I say that sincerely at the start of the show. The first thing I do on a Sunday night is li- is listen to the review with you and Shory. And I must admit, sometimes I skip to the Essendon one because uh, that's just sometimes what fans do. Uh, but I love it. You and Shory just say it as it is, and and, and that's what that's what fans want. And oh look, actually, I am going to ask a final question because I went to town last night on Twitter, and it's your industry. I'm so bloody frustrated at your industry, and not you, but. How can you sack a coach categorically? All networks, all, you know, everything going along. Yep, he's definitely sacked. Yep, you know, you've got AFL 360. I won't say the host, but we all know. Yep, Essen's definitely talking to Clarkson directly. Yeah, then the next night, oh, well, actually, no, they haven't been talking to Clarkson. They're talking to his manager. How, why are we continually getting this frenzy for a headline still going on in your okay. industry. Okay. Do you want this to go for another hour? <laughs> Sorry. Because, well, it's it's an enormous problem. The media. It drives me crazy. Well, the media, I'm sorry, the, the media as an industry is in a state of complete disrepair. And I'm not just talking about football media. I'm talking, in fact, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. Even, it's even worse at the front end of the paper because the ramifications are, are much more important. But, Oh, look, there's a number of things, you know, fewer resources, um, uh, more competition, uh, more pressure to be first. Um, the 24-hour-7 nature of the news cycle, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I moved house a few months ago and I, I'd kept uh, religiously um, – old copies of the the old Sunday Age, which, you know, when I worked on the Sunday Age, it was a – we had our own separate staff and yep. you know, gives, you know, we're talking 30 years ago. You know, we, we produced a 32-page sports section every week, which would have half a dozen long reads, which would have breaking news. We, and, and compare that now to a daily – sports section it's it's just like chalk and cheese um yeah and that's the case with every paper but you know people are stretched further there's fewer of them i don't think the training is anywhere near as good i mean i read some of the stuff that actually gets through published online in both the age and herald sun and i just go this reads like a 15 year old wrote it you know like people using the wrong words and yeah, spelling yeah. mistakes every second word as of that example the other day about, yeah, look, and I was guilty. Of, I, I saw a Channel 7 tweet saying Rutten's gone and I just retweeted it because I thought well, I, there's no way they I, go I'm the, that. I'm the same guilt and go because Channel 10 did it and I thought, well, yeah. there's obviously something to it and it's obviously happened. And yeah. I was astonished by the end of the day, oh, actually it hasn't happened and not even close to have happened. Uh, yeah, no, and you're was, like, that, yeah, it's just. That was, that was bad. That was, that was really, really bad. All I can say is, look, you know, 
Go to footyology. I don't, I don't, I don't, or go to footyology. But I, I don't think I don't think we're all like that, you know. No, um, well, that's why I pump up footyology. I really do. I, even yeah. in, even when you're not on the show, I go, "Hey, check out footyology." Um, well, because well, it's it's just know, a at least just a, hey, this is you know this is was this is what's happening, and this is you know there's no there's no kind of sensationalism. It's just this is what's happening. No. This is what our opinion is, and it's we, based on we, this. We, we like to think we focus on quality, not clickbait. So that's that's sort of our mantra. You know, look, to people um, on Bomber Blitz who, uh, or whatever, Big Footy or whatever, who reckon I'm a tosser or this or on that, or well, first of all, to the people who say, oh, you know, I, I should put down the red before I tweet late at night, I don't drink, guys, so <laughs> you can't blame that. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very loose on Twitter on occasions and it gets me into trouble and I kick myself. Sometimes, sometimes I annoy the bejesus out of myself. Trust me, <laughs> and I should go away and and not tweet. And I've tried. I've actually, I think I've got a little bit better recently in terms of exploitives and stuff like that. But I would hope to, you know, people who reckon, oh, that tosser, at least, you know, at least please believe sincerely that I genuinely love the Essendon Football Club, and and I, you know, more than most things in my life, I desperately want for the Essendon Football Club to return to its former place in the pecking order because it's given me so much joy yeah. and pleasure over the years. I, I only want some more of that and I want my kids to see that and I want all the young fans out there to see how great it is to to barrack for a club and to watch it rise from the depths and come up and win a premiership. And, you know, I go back to the like mid-80s. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're Essendon won in 84, their first flag for 19 years. I was 19 years old and... I'll never forget it. You know, one of the happiest mm. days of my life. Um, you know, I, I want people to experience some of that joy because it's a fantastic thing. And football is a fantastic game. And I think it's a it's a very important, culturally, it's a very important part of our lives here in, in Melbourne particularly. You know, it, it brings people together and um, it's given me some of the best moments in my life. I love it dearly. And you know, I want to be able to enjoy it following a, a not only a successful team but a club I'm proud to to be a supporter of, not embarrassed by. Yeah, very well, very well said. Thanks, mate. Uh, uh, look, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, honestly, I do. So all the best uh, for everyone else. Go to Footology. There's also another podcast up with Shuri um, talking about the Essendon Football Club. Uh, uh, yeah, so I've got an idea. Listen to Footyology. Actually, if you're hearing this now, you haven't listened to Footyology <laughs> first. Listen to both of them. I've, I've probably uh, I've expanded more in this version, um, but I've got a, a Robert Shaw's take on this is really really interesting as well. And he he hasn't spoken in another forum, so well worth hearing his view. He's a very important figure in the history of the Essendon Football Club. And yeah. hopefully in the present of the Eston Football Club because he's got a lot, lot to of offer. good sense to offer. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Thank you so much, my good friend. Uh, all right. Cheers, all the Scott. best. Uh, talk soon. No worries.